Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back. You waited for it, and we are here to give it to you. It's True Detective Season 3 on AfterBuzz TV. Crazy things to talk about. What's going on with that trash guy? And how similar is this season to Season 1? I don't know. It feels a little derivative. We're going to break all that down for you guys in just one quick second. Stick with us. We'll see you in just one minute. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz in i thought it was gonna be crazy it, nothing yeah no. nice and nice and it's moody it's yeah vibey. we're vibing like, hard joe i feel like you should be selling something with this as the music right but whatever we're selling it's very american and it's very expensive yeah. and it's made of cow <laughs> yeah. like there's made of cow this leather is it's all get available out. for a limited time oh yeah and there's a, probably a video of mcconaughey in a town car while you say it here's hoping <laughs> fingers crossed yeah. gentlemen fingers here's crossed here. here's to open guys what's going on welcome back it's after buzz tv it's sunday night I have been waiting for this season of television for like literally years of my life. Years, yeah. actually, it's 2015. I don't even. That's so much. I'm so excited to be here. We've got a fantastic panel. We're all back. Uh, I'm going to start right here with my man Nate Miller. How that's, you doing? That's me. I'm not back, but I'm here for the first time. Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. You're fresh to the panel. Uh, the rest of this lovely panel, which I'll get to in just one quick second. We did season two together all these years ago. I did Preacher with you recently. Yes. A uh, show that I enjoyed a lot, so it's fun to be back on a panel with you. Yeah. Uh, I got Julia Carley. I'll just have the table. Hello, gentlemen. Happy to be here with all of you. Hi, everybody. And uh, finally, Joe Sanfilippo. Nice to be here with you guys. Yeah. We back. We back. We back. The kids is back. Yeah. <laughs> the, the gang is back in town. Uh, you know, big, big shout out to our, our boy Joe Braz. Not here. Couldn't make Not it back here. this season. He is Good. hoping to stop in to be a guest every once in a while, if he can, or a call-in. He, oh, yeah, awesome. he has made that statement apparently clear to me. Ah. Excellent. So, let's keep our fingers crossed for him. So, we're back. It's after us. We're going to recap episodes one and two right now. The Great War in Modern Memory, the second one titled Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. Um, they, they released the same night, and then uh, in an hour, we're going to be back live actually doing the third episode. Yes. So, uh, you guys can stick around for that. Just first thoughts, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm going to start at the end of the table this time. Joe, where, where are you at with this? Uh, it, is, it is extremely True Detective-esque, yeah. which, and, and, and they've created their own, uh, it, it's becoming its own genre in its own way. Like, they've just, they've, they've taken the slow burn to like a whole nother level. Yeah. And I mean, it is such a slow burn at yeah. this point. Um, for for me, honestly, I I want I want the pace to be twenty percent hotter. I know I, I, I hopefully I'm in the in the minority on that, but um, but I think that they're they're setting everything up, which is what they did for season one, what they did for season two. The performances though are fantastic. Yeah, I'm enjoying the heck out of them. Stephen Dorff is killing it. Yeah, Deacon, um, Deacon Frost himself. Oh my god, it never it never goes away. Ever it never goes away. Deacon Frost forever. Um. Yeah, I'm 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 loving the performances and uh, I'm looking forward to uh to the rest of it. It's it's uh, like I said though, slow burn to start. Slow Nick Pizzolato burn. Yeah. <laughs> what do you enjoy? Um so I was nervous going in. You know, I was we all know we we were on season 1 together. I adored and I know you did. Yeah. And I'm sure you yes. did. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, season 1 was 
golden age perfection television. Amazing. Season two for me was quite a letdown. I you know yeah. I made that abundantly clear. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I'm a little you know like once bitten twice shy. I'm a little nervous. I want I want to be br- I want to be wooed a little bit back into <laughs> True Detective, and I think uh, I think I'm I'm coming around. I'm super into it. I think the casting is so impeccable. Yeah. I could stare at Mahershala Ali's eyes all day and read <laughs> so much into it. Yeah, and you know, you're sense. right. It is a slow burn, but I'm kind of feeling the slow burn. Um, I'm hoping it's not just a carbon copy kind of of what they were doing in season one, but I'm already, I'm so in. I mean, you mentioned his eyes. He's got that Paul Newman thing. That like hmm. he does when he's not talking, he's still acting. Where it's yes. like the brooding thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, yeah. it's totally it's noticeable. So subtle. Uh, I'm obsessed. We'll talk about him a lot more later because I am obsessed. Excellent. What do you think, Nate? Uh, yeah, I I kind of echo what you guys felt. Um, I I did enjoy season two. I will agree it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, but I also kind of went into the season a little bit cautiously. I was really excited with the casting from the get go. Um, but especially it returning to another sudden southern setting i was a little worried that it was going to be a lot of just trying to recapture what the first one was since that did so well Mm. uh already after the first two episodes i think that's i'm not worried about that anymore uh the detail that they have put into laying this story out and also their ability to be clear with the usage of the different timelines and the revealing of information uh even though characters we see don't have that information but now we do um, it's just already showing really strong writing, and, and I, I agree. It's starting off really slow, uh, but there's so, especially going out back and rewatching them, there's so much uh, that's being told to us that mm-hmm. just kind of slips by because the performances are so great. Uh, the set design is awesome. These like landscape shots that we're getting are so beautiful, but it's just distracting you from all these little tidbits of information and hints that we're getting. Yeah, I, I'm, I've really enjoyed the first two episodes. Uh, the first one, I had a moment where I was halfway through that was a little like, is this going to be derivative? Is it too much of a slow burn? And it picked me up. But the thing that's interesting is I do remember watching the first episode of the first season and having a similar moment, actually. So, I mean, season one takes a second. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you go back and you, you remember it, you rewatch it, and it, you're totally engaged because you know how good it's going to get. Right. But at first, I, I mean, do you guys remember when that first came out? Like, oh, yeah. Like, like really... The first episode was not reviewed well. It was no because they were so they they took their time and they were so um, uh, deliberate and they were so, it was almost um, what's the term indulgent. It almost felt indulgent for television. Sure, and totally. it was is indulgent. It is for yeah. sure. And and now we now we've come to expect it. And we're cool with it. But you're right. And when it first came out, that was revolutionary. And that was all everybody was talking about. It was like, dude, what the hell? Nothing happened. I mean, time is a flat circle, and all that weird stuff yeah. that Russ Cole does in the first episode. Uh, that first episode was criticized heavily for being super self-indulgent. And you had these major A-list actors on television, and it was confusing for people. And I, so- sorry. I think um, what Nick Pizzolatto has sort of taught us through his storytelling in True Detective is a different way of processing and a different way of ingesting his material. Yeah. Because we ingest it in the same, at the same rate, it feels like, as the characters do. Um, so we're so, it's a slow burn for them, you have to know, too. So for these little moments of realization, I feel like we're a part of that. Yeah. So uh, we are going to get into episodes one and two kind of collectively. You know, they drop everyone together. So I think rather than try to break them up really sequentially, we're going to try to give 
one review for all of that, and then we'll be tackling three on its own. Um, I want to remind everybody here, please like, subscribe on YouTube, leave comments. That is the best possible thing you guys can be doing to keep this channel going. Uh, and if you're interested in other AfterBuzz shows, be sure to subscribe to the other ones. We have like eight adjacent channels, superhero stuff, dramas, uh, you know, reality TV, live events, all things like that. And AfterBuzz does a million things. So check that out. Uh, all right. So let's get into the characters, our leads. Mahershala Ali, Deke, uh, not Deacon Frost, uh, Stephen Dorff, <laughs> uh, playing Wayne Hayes and Roland West. So we know, obviously, we're going to get a duo to lead this show. Yeah. Um, my first feeling on these guys is I like their relationship. I think it's I think it's well told. Obviously, you mentioned the writing is really strong. You know, there's there's like a line that Stephen Dorff has where he's talking about um, paying for sex, and he's like, you know, I'm a I say he's like I'm into women's live if she wants to. Uh, sell no, that. I'm a yeah. feminist. Yeah, I'm a feminist. That's his yeah. line. Gonna pay for it eventually. She, she, and that's like that's like one of those lines where you're like nobody really talks like that in real life, but that's a TV line. It's and a it, TV line, and it works yes. for this character. Works. Yeah, it helps. It really helps you kind of understand the character. Yeah, so it's it, totally it, yeah. and it's it, it's catchy and you remember it and right. you're like oh that's clever. But people don't yeah. talk. I about was it. a little yeah. wary. I think feel I feel like I'm the only one on this panel who was a little wary when I was looking at the casting. It was like Mahershala Ali, fantastic. Stephen Dorff was like. Oh yeah, we're still doing this, Stephen Dorf. But He's... but I will say, the first scene with the two of them, I'm looking at his character, and I think you're a bit much for me. But it works so well with the subtlety of his partner in crime with with Wayne Hayes, and I don't think the two could exist so magnificently without each other. Oh, I got you. I'm loving the dynamic between the two, but on their own, I don't think it would be as powerful. And that's unfolding, like every, I mean, it's two episodes, and we'll find out in an hour when we watch yeah. the next one, um, how they really depend on each other and how they inform each other's characters. I'm really into this duo. Joe, you've been an actor in Hollywood for quite a while, right? You've well, been in the acting Primarily before. voiceover, yeah. But, I mean, you've been in the scene of actors yeah, for yeah. a few years, at least. Is Dorf somebody you've ever kind of come across? Like, no, I've never hung out with him, and uh, he's, yeah, he seems so damn cool, man. Yeah, right. And and what he's doing with this, I love, because it's not like anything I've ever seen him do before. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like this super edgy, ultra-now guy. It's it's like, it's a totally different... He's aging really well. He yeah. is. He's yeah. aging, because, you know... Steven Dorff. <laughs> I had no problems with him when I was a teenager, not not one. But I love the way he's aging. Is very Dennis Quaid esque. You know, mm. he's 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 you know leathering up the, a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's heard wearing Quaid thrown around well. a few times <laughs> already talking and about he, the show. Yeah, and Weird. he's getting that. Yeah, he's getting that. That yeah. he's earning it. The way yeah. he's passing though is if you were to ask me, like shot out of a cannon the day he was announced to play this, you were like, hey, what's Steven Dorff doing? I'd be like, well, my friend John was in a show with him. I don't know the name of the show, and then he was in Blade. Blade. <laughs> that's yeah. like literally it. I, would, I, like, I know he's been acting for a long time, but nothing that's come across my radar. I feel like I had a so, poster of him on my wall at one point. Yeah, so something like that. Um, Next People Magazine. But yeah, I like them Next as two People leads. Because you're classy. <laughs> you know it. I think it's a strong two leads. Our, our mystery starts with the Purcell girl. Uh, girl and boy and we see them on the bikes and they're kind of they're doing the thing right they're like they're showing us this path that they take along the road right yeah. there's the woman you mentioned joe who's on the porch who like she looks like creepily happy to me like she looks too happy i feel like it was intentional <laughs> I just, no i just think she's not very good but i mean it, it, it doesn't i mean <laughs> that doesn't matter but uh, but i love the i love the the, the yeah just like, um, the little detail little ticket that he was able to spread out through those three different scenes, and oh, I love that. I, that, that. Those are little things that they do in this show that you're like, oh, yeah. 
Uh, so we see them. We see these these high school kids, uh, and they're it's in the hoodlums. car. They're hoodlums. They're total hoodlums. Um, you know, they're riding bikes and blowing rock up firecrackers. Yeah, rock and roll music. Exactly. So purple purple bug because they're because they're hardcore. Yeah, oh, purple yeah. bug. Yeah, watch the leather man. Right, right. That's, that's my classy white leather. Watch the leather man. I'm, I'm not a- really sure I can think of a moment in my life like at, I can't imagine a. Like, when would a purple bug have been, like, a thing in high school that was cool to get? It was not. Unless it was your parents and they, like, let you have it to drive. I mean, well, remember, you know, I was going to say this earlier, even with, like, some of the dialogue and the character descriptions. The time period that we're at here is very important. We know it's 1980. We even know exactly what day because we know that it's the day Steve McQueen died. He references it three times. It's it's an interesting beat that he goes back to. So we know from the first season and the second season that real event you know this takes place yeah. in our world so that timeline and stuff is very relevant and very important um but remember it's 1980 we see these guys are coming back from the war the 80s are just starting yeah. you know it's a, t- a turn of time so you know late 70s you got a purple bug you probably got from your dad or something well, like, also remember they emphasize that they're not like the coolest guys they're outcasts they were cops yeah i mean that's, they decided to be cops right they're like uh these the, oh you're talking you're talking about the teenagers yeah i mean they they depend on each other and they are they're outcasts they don't they can't talk to girls they yeah. can't do a lot of things um but they get into trouble so it may seem and also when you're that age you take any car you can get right. especially no in shit. rural arkansas no, yeah I, mean, I, drove my 80, first car. Yeah. I drove an 88 accord that was like a stick shift and like didn't work very well because yeah. it was given to me that's what i had so i got to drive right. it yeah. cool. 88 Oldsmobile cutlass supreme sl because i'm classy as fuss and it had the uh, it had the controls on the wheel it was yeah. like the first Whoa. one oh dude uh, dude an Oldsmobile. I oh. had a, uh, uh, <laughs> olds is all olds uh, uh how do i say it nice uh, a poop brown uh Eagle Summit. Uh-huh. Eagle Summit? Yes, but I will wow. say to this day the most comfortable car I've ever driven. Eagle Summit. Wow. Yeah, what the hell is that? Nobody I don't knows. think I've ever driven an Eagle Summit. Who has? You've never even seen one. Who has? I wouldn't know what you were talking about if you brought it up. Her I mean, name, wouldn't have called her her name car. was Stella. Oh, wow. Eagle no, if you Summit. saw it, you'd be like, is that a Russian car? Is that you something what, that's guys, a, is that Eastern Bloc? Cool in it. Feels like a band name. Car? It does uh, sound like a band name. I was never given a you car. You a car? haven't bought one. Oh, okay, fair oh, enough. I drove guy. one of my parents' car. I shared my, my the yeah. one I mentioned. I shared my stepbrother until he wrecked it. That was my high school. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Yeah, he was sick. Um, so, so uh, we we see these kids. You know, they're they're going down as as the as this mystery and this crime starts to unfold. And while this is happening, we're meeting the different era versions of Wayne Hayes. Um, so, I think this is kind of a good lead into a thought that I started having. And I think a lot of people have talked about this. Multiple timelines, there are different things that happen, like the doll they find at the end of the second episode, that do feel like they're going back to the well a little bit, right? There are things that remind me Definitely. of the first season, right? The doll is, like, very similar to the Dreamcatcher-looking things that yep. they find, the twigs. Um, and I'm wondering how much of that is intentional, like, how much of that Pizzolatto has sort of accepted, I want this to have a feeling that is similar in tone to season one, because that was a better work of mine, or if it's just... Cop shows, so, missing kids, like clues like that, they're common. My question for you is, as a fan, does it matter if if those things are reminiscent and similar and intentional because the stories are connected? Does that make a difference than if it's just happenstance and he's just doing that because he wants to evoke some type of thing? I don't think it matters. I think it's noticeable because... Obviously, it's called the show is called the same thing, but it's right. understood that it's an anthology show. Right. So if you're going to hit similar beats, you know your audience is going to notice. So you have right. to be. He's too smart to do it 
accidentally. Right. He's so doing it intentionally. I, I've read some stuff online. I'm not going to expound on this episode, but on yeah. another one. Yeah. I think that they might be connected. Interesting. And especially if you look at, like, we found the guy in season one, but there's still a whole ring of corruption. Yeah, and right. All, and this is... I mean, we don't know so much yet, but it could be a similar thing. This, in 1980, takes place before the first crime. Right. But then, and even in 1990, the other one takes place in 1995. So this could be related to that you as gotta well. Say, you got to say that McConaughey back in 1995. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then going into 2015, and yeah. we have him being interviewed by this lady who is on a show called True Crimes. Yeah. yeah. Which Ooh. is funny. That is funny. Uh, mentions other crimes that have to do with kids and stuff. So I... I, I you know, long stretch That's right now, but yeah, I think it's that possible that there's yeah. a reason why they're connected. It's reminiscent. She's okay. a little bit meta, maybe. Like we're we're, we're getting. I got right. you. Cool. So I think it's yeah. more than just like, hey man, this did really good in season one. Let's do that too. Yeah. Well, I'm you know, hoping it is such an interesting way to tell a story, though. It really is because you you give such an opportunity to to to. It's very rare that you get to see a, a character in their in their in their the coming of age and in their strength. And then in their weakness, and that is really what they're what they're doing here with the three timelines. I think well, one of the things they're doing, they're doing tons. But that I, that's my favorite part of it because you see him as he's coming up, and he's kind of still a shit kicker, and he's and he's you know he's coming off of off of being the uh, what, what was it the the the, L, the L- lerp? lerp lerp right yeah and uh, in Vietnam and 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 he's trying to find his way. But then it, and that's in the eighties. Then the ninety in nineteen ninety. He is slick. His hair is tight. His yeah. suit is his tie is up. It's tight. He never loosens that tie. So it hasn't anyway. In, in, so far in 1990, and he's powerful. Yeah, and he's strong. Right. And then on and then in 2015, he's fallen off. He and has memory stuff. Yeah. I and love he's also, that. You know, he's he's had a, a, a harrowing experience, something that has forever changed his life. As he said at, at some point in one of the episodes, it kind of run together. I watched them back to back. But he said, you know, there was a time when it was before Nam and after Nam, and now it's before the Purcell case and after yeah. the Purcell, Purcell case. So that definitely is going to make a difference in the way he holds himself, his demeanor. And now he is also a family man. You know, he he's married, he has children, and now he's working a desk job. Uh, he's still a cop, yeah. but he's and working that, at a desk. And that brings into even, like, Amelia and the fact that we, we get to see as they meet and how they develop this relationship. We also get to see them when they're married and they have kids. Mm-hmm. And then we also get to see when she's gone and he kind of almost gets to rediscover her and this whole story again by reading this book, which has a lot of stuff that he either didn't know or doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, I mean, even in, not as much in the 80s timeline, but in the 90s timeline, they make a point to mention the guy said, he, you know, he's, he says, like, I'm going to tell you everything I remember. And the guy says, well, if you don't remember... You're not going to know what you you're, what you're te- that you right. don't. Re- you can't tell us what you don't remember right. that you don't know. So they they also reinforce that we are getting this from his perspective, and he's not necessarily a reliable narrator. I was going to say same. Yeah. Yes. So it, it makes it very interesting and tricky. Um, but so far, they've done a really good job of like conveying important information. I too was really worried that he was going to be an unreliable narrator dealing with the dementia and and the sort of intertwining of his memories from the three different time periods. Um, but I did skim an article, I can't quote it, um, with Nick Pizzolatto where he says that, uh, he, he alludes to the fact that he will be a reliable narrator, um, that he's not going to mess with our minds like he has in Got the it. past. But when he is in a state of hallucination or whatever you want to call it, we will know it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a, it's a tactic, um, the unreliable narrator in the, the crime story, and it's some of, some of it has to do with perspective. And like some people, will, like if you guys remember that James Coburn movie, Affliction, mm-hmm. uh, that like that movie where it's like the whole time you kind of think that he's like this guy who's kind of down on his luck, uh, and in the end, 
I mean, spoiler alert, it's from 1997. Uh, in the end, you find out that basically it's you've just been seeing everything from his point of view and that he's kind of been the villain the entire time. And it's, you know, it's a small town murder story, basically. Maybe Fight Club would be a more well-seen But that's example. like a straight up, like, you've got somebody who has psychosis. I'm talking about this is a literal perspective thing. They decide to change perspective for, for the end to, like, expose what's going on. And so I think with him, like, you're getting something sort of similar, which is that everything is being seen through his memory, his perspective. At any point right. in time, it could flip not from an unreliable narrator, but just somebody else's point of view, and it could change the whole story. Um, I like, by the way, talking about the multiple timelines, what they've done, where in one timeline he's, like, looking at a light or a mirror, and then he wakes up and he's like in the interview and he's they're kind of you know what I mean like it's crossing over. Right? I love he's, the cross when he talks it's like, to it's like himself. He's dreaming. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. dreaming or it. remembering having flashbacks. Yeah. It, it reads very much like a you're in his head kind of experience thing because there's even that time in the second episode where like he he is wakes up like in the street in like 2015. That's yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Well, that's oh. the end of it. Right. And I think it's outside of the Purcell's house, like a like a shared up Purcell's house. I think at the very end when he's in his bathrobe. Yeah, I gotta watch that again. I don't, yeah, I, I don't believe know. that's what it is. Yeah, it's the very end. Yeah, yeah, I love the intertwining of the three of the three. What's his name? Wayne Hayes's. Yeah, the three timelines and how they sort of meld together. Not really sure which stream of consciousness maybe that he's in. Yeah, and maybe he's not sure either. But then they sort of talk to each other. All three streams of con- I love it. I think it's such a genius device, and I'm totally into it. One of the things I really like about this season, and, and you guys talked about this a second ago, um, but uh, you see him, he's powerful in the 90s, he has a family. So comparing, again, season one, season two, and season three, something season two really didn't do was explore the effect that being a police officer has on like a happy family. Like a, like a committed, you have kids, you have a wife or a husband, and what that does, because... All the characters in season two pretty much were these broken characters, right? Like, Taylor Kitsch was this, like, weird closeted case. Yep. He didn't know what was going on. You know, Vince Vaughn, like, couldn't have a kid. He was, like, this gangster. Uh, Rachel McAdams didn't have a family other than, like, you know, her siblings and her parents. And then even the closest thing we had was Colin Farrell. And he has this son who he doesn't really know, like, an estranged family. You know, this thing has ruined all their lives, basically. Yeah. Here you see another cop just like uh, Marty Hart who has, he has a wife. He has a family. He's coming home, and she's saying, you can't talk to our kids like that. And it reminds you what you bring home with these mm-hmm. things and how it affects you as a person. That's why these characters are so haunted. That family's going to be really messed up. Yes. It's not. It's not. It's <laughs> not. A ha- they're not a happy family. No, Rebecca. Sure we don't, wife who's, who's this Rebecca? She's Rebecca's, doing her music out in the West. She dipped. She's yeah. gone. She's, yeah, she's out. Yeah, so Karma jo- Ejogo, he meets uh, in the earliest timeline. She's a teacher. Um, they end up talking at the bar. What do you guys think about that bar scene when she sits down and they just start like, this is me. Here's my elevator pitch version of me. Uh, okay, that, th- there was a couple things in this in this that I'm there was there was just glaring TV stuff, and that scene was just so much exposition that it was yeah. like it, it, it was basal exposition from uh, from with uh, uh, Austin Powers. Like it was it was killing me. I was like it's like oh really? Let me pitch it to you a different way though. Let me because I I read that and then I thought about it a little further and I was like. Let's just say you're two people who are so kind of dissatisfied with the reality you're living. Not in the sense that you're unhappy, but like it's just not enough for you to live and react and interact with the world the way you have been. So you sit down with somebody that you feel some connection to, romantically too, right? Maybe this person understands me. And one person just takes the initiative. You know what? I'm going to just take a minute to lay it out there. This is who I am, right? This is like I feel connected enough to this person. I'm just going to... I'm going to tell you who I am. And the other person picks up on it and says, I'm going to do the exact same thing. I can imagine doing that in my life. It seems possible. It doesn't seem like exposition. It seems like you're not being coy. You're like, I'm in a bar drinking. You're here. We happen to know each other. Let's just do this. I think it's, a, I think it's both 
but I, I definitely I see where you're, where you're coming from, and, and hearing you say that, I, I it makes a lot of sense thinking about the characters and what we've seen already. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who you know would want to play the game and do this and all that. Like he's got too much on his plate. So to be more direct and forward, I think he spent a lot of time alone in the jungle. Yeah, she she says I went to San Francisco. I did it. Yeah, they're kind of both like. I did this other stuff that life took me to do. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Now I don't know what I'm doing and I'm here and I'm looking for something. Yeah. And that's what they're doing there. You no, know, when I watched it, I thought, this is long-winded. This is a never-ending <laughs> yeah. scene. We're still going. And I was actually more struck by their their first encounter. Yeah. Which, you know, it was like the most somber flirtation I've ever seen in yeah. my entire life. It was like the most depressing meet-cute you could ever right. possibly imagine. But... And he was, I mean, Mahershala Ali, I, I'll say it a million times on this podcast, his eyes just tell everything. There's a little glimmer when he meets her, like the teeniest, tiniest smidgen hint of a smile. I was like, oh, oh, I kind of like this flirtatiousness, yeah. even though they're talking about a potentially dead kid. Kids. Multiple yeah. kids. More than one. More than one. Um, but now that you sort of put it that way, maybe I'm coming over your side a little bit. Just, I mean, just all right. Maybe you swayed me, baby. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, so that's the that, that's our couple uh, who will later go on not to be. They talk about this book a lot that she wrote. So at some point in time, in one of the I guess somewhere around the middle timeline, she obviously gets totally inspired by what's going on in his world. Decides to write about it. So what I'm trying to figure out is what is going to be the turning point in their relationship that she decides to take ownership of this investigation with him. Well, he already involved her. She's already a, a big part of it in that right. she was the one that led them to the find dolls, out about yeah. the dolls. Yeah. That he, And he, even when he is in 2015 and he's fondly remembering that it was her who cracked that part of the case. Yeah. And I think from that moment forward, and he thanks her and he's so appreciative. The right. kid wasn't yeah. going to talk to us. You really got through to him. I think... I think she's going to be a key part of this oh, yeah. entire investigation. Yep. I would even go so far as to say, like, that their relationship and whatever this is, the Purcell case, are inexplicably linked. Like, yeah. that's the reason why they came together. That whole point up until when we see them in 1990 and they're married with kids, like, they had solved the case at that point or had someone, and then they're going to get this whole big thing of, like, oh, actually, guess what? The daughter might be alive. They're both already connected to it, and I think that is what's going to make her that whatever discussion they're going to have is going to is what's going to lead her to start writing the book. I think mm-hmm. um, interesting. Well, you know, they're they're married they're married couple at that point, and they're a team. So you know, anything that he's wearing, she's going to be aware of. And and the nice thing, I guess, the freedom that he's got with this particular case is that there's no uh, there's no need for him not to tell her. There's no need to protect his family from it, from his wife from it, because she was in it. So. Right. So he can experience that with her, and and I would imagine she said that she, she wanted to write a book. So I would imagine there doesn't necessarily need to be an event, but it just seems like a natural evolution. Will there be any threat to her success as an author, having written this book, Life and Death and the Harvest Moon, um, which is dependent, I feel like, upon the conviction, which we're trying to overturn, we learned in 1990. But now this book is already out, or it's coming out. It's just It's just barely being published, and now the whole case is going to blow up. And now maybe the conviction was wrong. Everything that they thought was wrong. Is that going to be imperative in their marriage? Well, the book, you're talking about the book coming out in, in the, mid, the middle timeline, right? Where she gets yes, the copies in the, the box. Yes, but at the same time, he's finding out that Julie is still alive. Right. He had just went out. Right, But right. the book has already gone to publisher. Right. And that's why in the, in the uh, actually, no, his interview is, is in the book? middle timeline. Same book. Yeah. Same so. book. It's, well, okay. she, he said she, she said she wrote a lot of books, right? Six. But like six more after that. Six more after that, yeah. Interesting. 
Um, so, but mov- when she gets the copies, it's that book. Okay. So moving down the line, just of the other things that I want to make sure we cover in this episode, a um, couple things. His son, uh, we, which Nate was just talking about before the show, is played by uh, Ray Fisher, who actually is listed as a series regular, not a recurring, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe... More, right. better, interesting things coming. Yeah, hopefully. Um, this is the same guy, by the way, for those of you watching, that plays Cyborg in the Justice League, who's a friend of the studio, who came in here and did stuff for us. Uh, he was on DC Movie News, and I did like a one-on-one interview with him back when the movie came out. So I hear he likes Pokemon. He's a good, he's a good guy. Maybe we can even get him on the show. We'll reach oh. out to him. That'd be Ooh, cool. that's a good yeah. idea. Let's try to get him in here, right? Yeah. You guys awesome. can do a little, yeah. uh, little, 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 little Pokemon review. Pokemon rendition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. bring it back. Yeah, go for go for two. Um, so, so we've got him going on. Um, there's this trash guy, <laughs> this guy that collects yes. trash. Who's uh, he's he's I think he's a red herring, but he's uh, somebody that we're supposed to pay attention to. Yeah, Woodard. Yeah, Woodard. Woodard, right? And he's the, the, the I'm not that I'm not that Vietnam burnout. I'm not that guy. I'm not I'm not doing yeah, which is interesting because I, I think it's kind of like a forgotten trope at this point for us because it's so many years ago now. But that really was that was a thing for a long time. There were guys that came back from Vietnam that were busted up, that were not right and you know, start fights, throw things away, you know, go nuts, do do crazy stuff. There's also I mean, from in terms of this kind of story, right? Like your darker, grittier drama the the Vietnam vet is a part of film and television for such a long time now. There are so many of those characters and so many notable works over the years. Right. It's like one of the most gone back to things. Yep. And Pizzolatto, uh, the writer and creator of the show, obviously somebody who's ingested a lot of that material. I think that's probably something to talk about as well is the fact that you know season one, created by Pizzolatto, the entire season directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga... The second brilliant. season, yeah, brilliant. Second season was was directed by like I think five or five six different, different guys, yeah. people. Uh, Too many. This season is back to only three, and one of them being Pizzolatto himself, who does mm-hmm. actually the fourth, uh, the the fourth and fifth episodes. Right, um, and and he wrote the fourth one. He co-wrote it with um, uh, David Milch. Oh yeah, yeah, right from uh, Deadwood. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Jeremy Solnier is the director of this episode as well as the second. Yep. Uh, that well, that's what we're doing. The first and the second episodes. He's the director of Green Room. Did you guys watch that movie? Yeah. Yeah, really, really solid. So he's definitely like a feature film level guy, which is why they bring him in for this. Um, but I think that's interesting, you know, creatively, that that's the people that are making the decisions behind this. And fewer, fewer cooks in the kitchen. I think that's always a great – I think that's awesome at the top. When you, you know, the, 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 I think the steadier hand, the fewer people in, involved, I think the, uh, the, the, the sometimes the better the outcome. Yeah. yeah. Keeps um, the vision intact. But we haven't talked about Tom at all, and I feel like he's such a great character – um, the father. Oh, the parents. Yeah, the, the father. Song. Yeah. Yep. And I just, I, I'm really it, Scoot McNally. Scoot McNally. Is that Scoot yeah. McNary, Yeah. Yeah. So, if he is the father of the parents. Ooh. Because well, we weren't sure. Yeah. Right. And there's because the, there's mom and dad. Yeah. There's. I mean, and the, mom did spit that out, right? Mom sure did. That family in general is a pretty interesting one to talk about. Obviously, we meet the parents. We see this abusive relationship between the two of them. We also meet the uncle, right? It's her brother. Yes. The wife's brother, and he's. What a weird character, right? Yeah, really weird. Well, looks like he's not a just band. weird. Right? <laughs> um, doesn't he leave porno mags under the kid's bed? And or, I mean, I'm assuming he's the one that drilled the hole. I think that we are we are being led to to, to, to believe that. Watching room. his sister. Ooh, he's cousin. Watching his niece. cousin, right? Cousin. Is, is it cousin? Oh, cousin. I... He is. He's uh, Lucy's cousin, but she says he's more like an uncle to the kids. Hmm. Interesting. Gross. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a she's bit a she's a mess, she she, a and mess. mom's is a mess. Yes, Mamie Groomer. What's that? Mamie Groomer as Lucy. I love mm. her so Lucy. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Lucy Chip per, off Lucy the old Thomas. block. The family is hiding something for sure. 
Definitely. And, and uh, you know, you, you get a classic kind of cop-civilian interaction here. This happens all the time, yeah. right, where the, where the family's upset and the cops are trying to keep them calm. They're like, why aren't you out there finding my kids? Um, the movie Prisoners is just that, the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, the whole movie. It's like, movie. It's like my favorite movie ever, but uh, which is horrible because it's very sad. But it's a great <sighs> movie. Um, but, uh, but, like, that exact same interaction, we've just seen, seen it so many times. That's the thing about cop shows, right? That's kind of what I was getting at in the beginning is that the cop show is just derivative in general. It's not just that True Detective season one and three are similar. It's so hard to make something original in this world. Like, we have seen so many cops on television. Oh, yes. So Thousands. Many. The same exact way over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, because the reality is we don't know that many real cops. I mean, we don't. And we don't hang out with a tremendous number of detectives. Yeah, so. right. I mean, it's inherently derivative. And if, and well, if you yeah. have somebody come out there and give you a performance that's based on an actual cop that's kind of chill, and he's like, hey, man, we're pretty cool, we're laid back. Everybody be like bullshit. Yeah, doesn't well, make any sense. That's the other thing is it's a it's a vicious cycle that feeds itself. If once this once we've created this thing of like this is what cop shows are, right? This is what they have. Then when you try to do something else, people are like, that's not we don't like. Right. That. Once that's not what we want. Once that's the trope is there for. Do I watch right. TV? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Once the trope that is, is ingrained like that. So uh, getting to the end of the second episode, uh, where we basically he finds he finds one of the two kids uh, in a cave, and so first episode. Uh, that's the end of the first episode that he finds the kid? Doesn't matter. I we watched them together. I watched Whatever. them back to back. All good. They blended together. Everybody did. But we know that this happens. That's one of the big yes, things. Yes, so and two, he's posed with the... Yeah, there's two big things that happen, right? I think one that's of them, the second episode. Oh, yeah. maybe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I said, I watched back to back. Two big things that happen. One, we find the Purcell boy in a cave, and he has, he is dead. The other one is that we find out there's been a robbery, and the Purcell girl is the culprit. But we find uh, that in her, her, hands, are there. her prints yeah. were there in we don't 1990. Know if she's a customer, or if she's if she is the culprit, we're right. not sure. And we don't know how that connects to the true crime modern timeline where Mahershala Ali is talking to this true crime no. girl. No, we don't know. What this it's also yet. important to to note the letter yes. that the pe- that the parents get to yep. in yes. 1980 in the in the first timeline, right? Where then, and he's like, "What does that mean?" Right? Right? right. Exactly. So, and we assume it has something to do with Halloween, right? And, you know, I forgot, I wanted to say this when we were talking about uh, Tom, the dad, that performance at the, when he went back to work, Oh, that yeah. was heart-wrenching. Dude. That I, was like, so good. Like, and then the guy that was playing his boss, too. Oh, yeah. he was yeah. great. Like, it was, yeah, like, great. so, like. It, it was implacable. Oh. Like, he just, he just, like, look, this is the way yeah. it is. It broke my heart. And I, and I, oh, yeah. as soon as he went in there, and you see them with all the machinery and stuff, you're like. This can't, you can't work. work. No, yeah. you can't you do this. Kill one of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And everyone else in there was like, "Dude, it makes you sense. can't be here." I gotta say, they, they. You know, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I I forgot about that for a second. They set the table for him to explore that so well. Yeah. I mean, really, what do you do? I mean, you're you're in a marriage with a woman that you hate. You've got you're in a small town. The only reason you have to be there and live is gone. And you have nothing, and you're sitting there. You, you, you what do you say in the car? I can't sleep. Yeah, I can't. I can't do this. You, you guys are gonna find my kid? Right? Just tell me if you're not gonna find my yeah. kid. And and so he goes back to work to try and keep his brain right. And and it's you can just feel the oh he was. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant, uh, brilliant performance. Yeah, it was great. It was and great. just one performance I, that really stuck out to me. I, it's a little whatever. Um, was the discovery of the body? Um, I've seen a ton of body discoveries in yeah. my day. You know, you, you find a body, you're shocked, you're sad, whatever. Whatever he was doing was Mahershala Ali, this character, the way he discovered and dealt with that process just blew me away. Yeah. And again, 
just killed me. It was the pat at the end, I think. Because when he's leaving, but then his instinct is to, I'm, I'm going to fix, I can't fix. Like, that was amazing. Like, the last thing he does with the body yes. before he goes out of the cave is he, is he tries to almost straighten out his jacket a little bit or something. He's, yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, yeah. Really, killed really, me. Really great actor. Um, so, guys, we're going to get to, I think we should, rather than do predictions, because we're about to do the second episode. Yes. In, or the third episode in just, like, two seconds. Um, I'm going to give just a couple quick shout-outs here, and then we'll do a sign-off. Then we'll yeah. go watch it and just come back. And Perfect. That way, that way, anybody who's watching this can just get right into nice it. Nice and, and fresh. Can kind of continue it. Um, I want to make sure to remind everybody here, too, please subscribe on YouTube. Give us a rating on iTunes. That's a big one. You guys please. might be listening to this. If you're five listening stars. to this rather than, uh, you know, than, than watching it, um, if you give us a rating, a review, five stars, let us know your thoughts. Leave a comment. Uh, probably you won't be able to do it for the third episode, but on the fourth episode... We'll read your comment. If you go, yeah. if you go write something on iTunes, I'll share it with everybody next episode. So thank you guys so much for supporting us for you know and being the ESPN of TV talk. It's what we do here at AfterBuzz, and we uh, gladly do it. We'd like to keep doing it. So, folks, where can uh, the audience find you if they want to follow along? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Flippo, and uh, my website is josephsanflippo.com. Cool. Little old me. Uh, Twitter and Instagram with my name Julia Carely, J U L I A C E A R L E Y. And Nate. Uh, Nate Miller, you can find me all the places that people can be found at Dog Like Nate. That's Dog with two G's. Yeah, and you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter, Instagram, what have you. And uh, you can find me on the Popcorn Talk Network every single Wednesday at 2 o'clock doing Action Movie Anatomy. We're coming up on our 200th episode relatively soon. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be pretty soon here. Ah. So, Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in like an hour. See you yeah. soon. Awesome. Bye, everybody. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 